As you make your way to your seats, uh, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful that you're here with us. Um, we are now kind of in our second week. We, we started Romans back in August. Uh, we took a break over Advent, and we looked at uh, kind of a series on the mission and vision of the church, but we're really excited that we're back in Romans, and so we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I, I invite you to turn with me, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, um, but before we actually do read this, let me say a couple things. First of all, I apologize about my voice, and I, I'm going to be drinking some water this morning. Hopefully, I can make it uh, throughout this, uh, this message. And the second thing is this. Um, we're actually going to be dealing with some kind of weighty issues this morning. Uh, the, the, uh, the passage that we're going to look at, Romans 5, 12 through 21, deals with things like sin and, and, and death. And, and there's going to be some things that may be kind of hard for us to accept, hard for us to understand. Uh, we're going to look at this worldview that, that these, uh, this passage lays out for us. And it may not be kind of a worldview or lens that we think about a lot. Um, but here is uh, some, some, some reasons, or here are good reasons why uh, we do this. First of all, like when we... W- when we preach through a, uh, a book of the Bible, we can't like skip and, and, and pick and choose what we like to talk about and what we don't like to talk about, things that may be really um, hard or difficult for us to, to, to talk through. So that's one of the benefits of us actually preaching through the book of the Bible. But there's another thing that I think is really important for us. Um, this is a space in which we want to we want to shape your worldview. We, we want to shape it from a biblical perspective. And some things that you're going to hear this morning, uh, you're not going to, 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 to read on Twitter, all right? Uh, I used Yahoo this morning, which uh, I guess I got kind of uh, made fun of. I, 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 still, I still like look at not Yahoo News. Anyone else? Am I, am I? Okay. At least I didn't say AOL, right? So the things that you will actually be, uh, we'll be laying out and talking about in, these, in this passage, you're not going to hear uh, on Twitter, you're not going to really hear about uh, why has actually death come into our reality as human beings? And, and why is there evil in the world today? Like, why is there sin? Why is there death? Why is there destruction? But here's, here's some really good news. Actually, we're going to talk about that, and we're actually going to talk about uh, found in the pages or found in this passage actually gives us hope for mankind. Now, the world has a lot of solutions for hope, all right? I mean, we've got like uh, uh, all these self-help books that come out, and, and uh, some people kind of look to, to Oprah, which may date me again. Um, Oprah, self-help books, or maybe the, 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 the religion of today, which really is do whatever makes you happy. Uh, but as we're going to see, that is pretty broken, all right? And what we're going to find out in the pages of Scripture today, in Romans 5, 12 through 21, is there's a great hope for mankind. But you're not going to find it anywhere else but, but in the pages of Scripture. And so as your pastor, really the, the, the most loving thing that I can do is, is to kind of walk us through and hit these weighty issues like straight on. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's start reading in verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we um we come before you this morning and we come to a place in, in your in your word that's uh, pretty weighty. Um, Father, for many of us, it's, it may be hard to understand, but Father, we know that this truth that is found in this passage crushes the worldview around us. Father, as you know, we're so bombarded with individualism that it's really hard for us to receive the actions of another as our own, but this is the heart and foundation of your gospel, that we are made right with you, not based on our actions and not based on our own individual behaviors, but based on the actions and behavior of another, and that is the righteous one, your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we come to your text this morning, we ask that your spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move among us and that you would give us eyes to see, that you can convict our hearts of sin and righteousness and of judgment, and that you would help us to see the beauty and the worth and the value of Jesus. For that's what we so desperately need to see this morning. That in Jesus we have the sufficient Savior, the perfect Savior. So may we all find great rest and comfort in Him this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we, uh, if we just stop for just a moment and we um, begin to kind of listen to the world around us, we all kind of know that the world is telling us something. It's trying to teach us. It's trying to shape us to be a certain type of people. And what the world is telling us is simply this. It's saying, be who you are. So the world loves, the world cherishes, the world craves individualism. All right, so it teaches that true freedom and true joy comes from seeking independence and being your own and seeking your own kingdom and establishing this me-centeredness of all things. And so we're also told that there is this potential that lies within the human being, within mankind, which actually pushes you and encourages you to, to, to do whatever you want to do. And so there is this uh, potential within us, and if, if with enough willpower, and with enough goodness, and with enough kindness, and if you just pursue those things, then everything in the world is going to kind of be okay. Now the problem with this is when we come face to face with the realities of life. 
So when we begin to realize there's actually death in the world, there's evil in the world, there's selfishness in the world, there's even evil and sin and selfishness within our own hearts here this morning, when we begin to realize and see those things, this worldview of promoting the goodness within and the kindness within doesn't really explain why we're actually not good and kind human beings. Because here's the reality. When your individualism begins to threaten my individualism, or when your desires, what you want, begins to threat what becomes threatening to what I actually want, then goodness and kindness, what does it do? It just simply goes out the window, right? I'm going to seek my own happiness above your happiness. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. This wonderful worldview that the world tells us about how wonderful we are and how kind we are and good and all this human potential that we have, it's broken. Because here in Romans 5, 12 through 21, it comes on the scene. And you know what it does? It is crushes this worldview. It crushes this mindset. It's like this F5 tornado that comes along and just rips this foundation off of its, uh, 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 off the foundation of this love affair that we have with the human potential. And so here's the reality. Many of us are probably not going to like what we actually see in the passage this morning. Because one, it threatens our independence, and two, it connects us as human beings more than we're comfortable with. You see, the basic message of Romans 5, 12 through 21 is pretty simple. The story of mankind, at the center of that story, there's two human beings. There's Adam and there's Jesus. And the behavior and the actions and the choices and the life of these two individuals actually counts for you and me. So in other words, your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny is riding not on our own individual actions or behavior, but actually the, the actions and behavior of someone else, either Adam or Jesus. That's the heart of this passage. And so for us to get a bigger picture, for us to, 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 to truly understand what's going on here, we got to go back to the very beginning and see when God created Adam in the garden, he actually made him the head of the human race. And so every single person here, every, every one of us born, we're born into Adam. We are sons and daughters of Adam. I am, you are, every single person in this city. But when God created the garden, when he created Adam, he gave Adam two commands. In Genesis 2.16, God says, Adam, you may eat of the tree of, garden, of the garden. You may eat any tree. Like, 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 I created this for you. I created for, for you to enjoy all of my creation. But there is one tree that you should not eat of, and that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So God set it all up. He, he set it up for Adam to actually thrive and find great joy living in the parameters that God set for him, for his will, for his life. And God set it up for him to thrive and flourish. But what did Adam do? He listened to the lie, didn't he? He listened to the lie that the world has been living or listening to ever since that day in the garden. He made the garden about him. And he ultimately believed that God did not have his best in, in, in light. He, he didn't ultimately trust God. And so he took the reality and he flipped it and he perverted it. His individualism became the center of the garden instead of God. And so he rebelled against him. 
And so the consequence that every single person, every single human being has experienced from that day is both physical death and spiritual death or spiritual separation. Our relationship with our creator God is now broken because of what Adam did. But here's what's really, really important for us to understand. Can't miss this. This in many ways is the foundation of Romans 5, 12 through 21. Adam was not acting alone. He wasn't acting just for himself. You see, when God made Adam, he made him the representative of the human race, the whole human race. And so when, when Adam sinned against God, you know what happened? He brought you and he brought me. He brought every single person in this city down with him in his sin and death. So when you're born into the world and I'm born into the world, when every single person is born into the world, we're born with this major and huge problem, and it's this. We have Adam's sin. We have Adam's guilt. We have Adam's condemnation. And as a result, we have death, both physical death and spiritual death. This is what Paul is saying in verse 12. Look at it. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, let this truth just sink in for just a moment. What Paul is saying is that the sin of the world, evil in the world, actually entered into the world through Adam that dreaded day in the garden. And as a, result, as a result, death came into the world through that one man's sin, through that one man's trespass. Adam and death spread. It saturated the lives of every single human being because in Adam, we all have sinned. He is our representative. Therefore, we actually have his sin and we have his guilt. Now, the verb for all sinned in Greek it's a completed action in the past. So what this means is, is that Paul is trying to help us see, and what he's trying to explain is that we all experience this death because we're all connected to Adam as our representative. And so it's not like we have death because we sin like Adam, even though that's true, it's much deeper. We've got a, we've got a bigger issue, a deeper issue, a deeper problem than our own individual sinning and our own individual sinful actions and behavior. The bigger issue is, is that we're all connected to Adam. And as our representative, we have received all of this result and consequences of his rebellion. When Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam died, I died. Now, let's just stop for a moment because I know we probably don't like what we're hearing. I, I don't really like what I'm hearing. I mean, th th this is tough stuff, right? I mean, especially for us Americans, right? Like, again, going back to our individualism, right? And when we celebrate just, just people being independent, I mean, you're telling me that someone's actions and behavior I'm now responsible for? I mean, especially something as horrific as this rebellion against God that I am found guilty and now I get judgment and now I get condemnation and now I get physical and spiritual death because of the actions of another? Man, that's not fair. That seems, that seems countercultural to our world today, doesn't it? 
And listen, I understand if, if, if it's going to take us a little bit of time to, to, kind, of, uh, to kind of unpack this and, 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 and wrestle with it, because also, honestly, I'm wrestling with it, too, with it too. But listen, this truth does explain, doesn't it, why there's actually evil and death in the world today. It explains why the human potential is actually dead and broken. And explains why when we look at Twitter and Yahoo and all those, you know, whatever uh, news choice you, you have, it, it explains really why we can't escape evil. Why we can't escape selfishness. Why we can't escape the injustices done to the weak and the broken and the poor, right? Like, I mean, if you look at it, the human beings, we're not getting any better. And death, man, death doesn't discriminate, does it? doesn't matter how old you are, and unfortunately, it doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how much power you have. doesn't matter how much influence you have. doesn't matter how much money you have, right? Like, not enough power and influence and money is going to stop death from knocking on every single one of our doors. This week, I was sitting at the edge of the bed of a sweet sister in the Lord. She was 83, and she got pneumonia. The doctor said that she probably is not going to make it 48 hours. And so when we got there, um, we were trying to talk to her, and she was unresponsive. She wasn't responding to anything. And, and so um, I, I grabbed her ha hand, and, and Jeremy was on the other side of the bed, and he grabbed her hand. And, and as soon as I said the word Father, she squeezed our hand, and she opened her eyes. And she looked at me, and she kind of had this blank stare on her face. I, I'm not really sure, sure, sure what was going on. But then she looked at Jeremy, and she smiled her beautiful smile. I mean, this sister had a smile that can light up the room. She's beautiful. And so we prayed for her, and, and she eventually fell back asleep. And a couple of days later, this sweet, precious sister passed away. Why? Because of her connection with Adam. Because of his sin. Therefore, we all die. You die, I die. Sweet, precious sister in the Lord died as well because of Adam. Guys, we're all in the same sinking ship called Adam. He is the representative of the human race. And what's worse, guys? What's worse if there can be, I mean, I know that the pain of losing loved ones, I mean, even the thought of death knocking on our own door, I mean, it's gut-wrenching, isn't it? We fear it. And we do everything we can to push it away. When we try to just block it out, we don't even think about death. But what's worse than that is actually we get something even worse, and that is spiritual death too. We get this broken relationship with God, and we get this separation from our greatest joy, which is God himself, as a result of Adam's disobedience. Look at verse 18. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And then verse 19, for one by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. What Paul is saying is as painful and as horrific as physical death is, the greatest consequence of us being in Adam is that because of his one trespass and his one act of rebellion and his one sinful action, you know what that does? It condemns us all. 
Paul says one trespass, the trespass of Adam, his sinful rebellion that, that, that day in the garden actually leads and led to condemnation for all men. So we are all guilty and condemned and made sinners. Why? Because of our association and being represented by Adam apart from anything that we have done. You, me, all of mankind. We share in his guilt, we share in his condemnation, and as a result, this condemnation, you know what it does? It disqualifies us from eternal life with God. One author says this in response to this human reality of what we actually experience and taste in Adam. He says this, he says, the problem with the human race is not most deeply that everybody does various kinds of sins, though those sins are real. And they're huge and they're enough to condemn us. Paul is very concerned about those things. He actually uh, walked us through chapters 1, 2, and 3 showing us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul is very concerned about that. But listen very carefully. This is the foundation of what we're talking about. The deepest problem with humanity, the deepest problem with the human race is that behind our depravity, behind our own guilt, behind our own sinning, there is this deep, mysterious connection that every one of us has with Adam, whose sin has become our sin, whose judgment has become our judgment, whose condemnation has become our condemnation. So our deepest problems, again, you're not going to read this on Twitter as you go home, our deepest problem to our individual sinning and brokenness and rebellion and selfishness is actually our identification with Adam. And so listen, the most important thing that we can do right now is not to close our ears and just kind of hide from this thing and try to believe that this thing doesn't really exist and our association with someone else and his actions actually affect me. Because listen, if we run from this, we may actually seek a remedy that promises life but actually gives us death. So the greatest thing that actually you can do and I can do is actually see ourselves in Adam. And when you see yourselves in Adam, you're actually declared a sinner and condemned to eternal death apart from anything that you have done. That's the reality. That's the truth. I have some friends who have become friends with some neighbors who are of a different religion. And they have invited them into their home and they've shared, shared a, a lot of meals with them and they've actually become really good friends with them and they have developed this deep love for their neighbors. And my, my, my friend was in tears telling me that their conversations are always hitting this wall because their friends believe that they can actually do enough good things in this life for God to actually accept them and be pleased with them. In other words, with God's help, they can obtain this righteousness of their own that God is eventually going to accept. So if they do all these good things and all these kind things, if they just do enough, then maybe it's enough for God to accept them and welcome them into his presence to have eternal life with him. Guys, they, they don't see. The problem is they don't see that this is impossible. They don't see that it's impossible because their greatest need in order to, for, for God to accept them is not to be represented by themselves in their own righteousness and it's definitely not to be represented by Adam. It's actually to be represented by someone else, someone who is infinitely better than Adam. 
Someone who's infinitely greater than you and me. So listen very carefully. There's actually some really good news for us being represented by another person. There's actually some, some really great news about, about being uh, represented by Adam himself. Because listen, if it's true, if what Paul is saying is true, that every single human being is in Adam, therefore we have his sin and guilt and condemnation, which leads to eternal death. If that's true because of our union with Adam, then what if? What if there was another Adam, a perfect Adam? Like, What if there was someone who was this perfect, obedient man who lived the life that Adam didn't live and lived the life that you and me didn't live and who loved the Father and treasured him above all things and loved his neighbor as himself perfectly? I mean, what if there was someone who did this, someone who actually can represent us and actually reverse the curse of sin and death? So instead of Adam's sin, we have his righteousness. Instead of Adam's condemnation, we have his justification. Instead of having Adam's eternal death, we actually have his eternal life. Guys, what if this was true? Then this would be, this person would be the greatest news, right? The greatest news that the world could ever hear. I mean, this person would be infinitely valuable. He'd be infinitely glorious. He'd be infinitely worthy of all of our worship and adoration and devotion. I mean, to be taken out from underneath Adam and be represented with this perfect righteousness that leads to life? I mean, to be removed from the tyranny and slavery of sin and death? I've got good news. There is a better Adam. There is, a, there is a, another representative. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only remedy. He is the only hope for mankind. He is the only one who can reverse the curse of Adam. Look at verse 14. Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. What does that mean? Paul is telling us that there is someone who, who is coming, someone who is better than Adam, someone who was going to actually come and undo everything that Adam did. There, there would be this second Adam who's going to come and break the curse of sin and death and judgment and condemnation for the human race. And Paul lays out this life-saving. Guys, this is life-saving news. This is soul-saving news. What he begins to do is he begins to break down and show you how Jesus is better than Adam. How the results of what we get in this man and the results that we get in this man is infinitely far better in this man, Jesus. Look at this verse 15. He begins to break it down and show comparison. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So there is this free gift, guys. There is this uh, better kind of uh, word for it is grace gift. So there is this grace gift, this free gift, that comes from Jesus Christ that's not like, it's not like the trespass that comes through Adam. So in Adam, you get what? 
You get his trespass and you get his death, but in Christ, you get this free gift of righteousness and you get life. That's what he says in verse 17. That's what the free gift is. That's what the grace gift is. It's the gift of Christ's very own obedience and righteousness. So what this means is, is that in Christ, the better Adam, he actually came and and obeyed God in all of his commands, unlike Adam and unlike you and me, but he did it for you and me. So when we read Jesus and we see his life in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see him live this perfect life in loving the father and obeying all of his commands, treasuring God, making him, making God the center of the garden in his life, right? That's not what Adam did. That's what Jesus did. But when we we're looking at the life of Jesus, he's not just setting an example for us. Though he is, but that's not the bigger thing that we need to see. When we look at the life of Jesus, what he's actually doing is he's living this obedient life that Adam never did. So he's undoing what Adam did so that he could represent us perfectly. So that if you are in Christ, you are righteous because Jesus represents you with his righteousness. Even though you haven't done anything righteous on your own. He represents you. You are actually declared righteous because Christ is now your representative and now his obedience is actually your obedience. His righteousness is your righteousness. As he has obeyed the Father perfectly, you have obeyed the Father perfectly. Is that good news? It's amazing news. To not have this trespass, but to have this obedience, this righteousness, Based on our representative Jesus? Listen, I I received some good news this week. My parents bought a new car and they gave me their car. It's a sweet ride. Toyota 4Runner 2010. I mean, this thing is is awesome. And uh, I'm really grateful for this gift. They were really gracious to me. And and, uh, you know what? I didn't deserve this gift. I I didn't do anything to, uh, uh, to, I, I didn't pay a dime for this thing. I mean, they, they gave it to me. I didn't even pay for any of the taxes and title and all that stuff. My dad paid for it all. I didn't do anything. They just simply gave it to me, and now it belongs to me, and you can't have it, okay? It's mine. But I didn't do anything. How much more? How much more, how infinitely better is it to receive this free gift, this grace gift of righteousness in Christ that comes from this one man, Jesus Christ? Listen, I I didn't do anything to have this righteousness. You didn't do anything to have this righteousness. You didn't do anything to gain this acceptance and approval of God. It's based on this one man's perfect obedience in your place. That's, That's the gospel. To have a righteousness that's not of your own based on this representative of Jesus. Therefore, God welcomes you and he embraces you and he accepts you and he rejoices over you. And you get to enjoy his presence forever in eternal life with him because of the new representative. Not based on your own individual righteousness and your own individual behaviors. It's based on the life of Christ. Do you see how Jesus is valuable? You see how he's precious. You see how he is the the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. He is infinitely better and far better than Adam. He's priceless and it gets better. Look at verse 16. 
Paul says, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So listen, the free gift is not like what? Not like the one man's sin. So through Adam, you and I get judgment and condemnation, but through Christ, for those who are in Christ, for those who have received him, receive this free gift of righteousness, which brings about justification. Therefore, you are free from condemnation. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He has set us free from being condemned. And therefore, the result or what we get as a result of his obedient life is eternal life with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So on that cross, guys, Jesus bore the guilt of Adam. And he bore our guilt and he bore our shame and our sin and the world's evil. And the judgment of God came down upon him and he took our condemnation with him to the grave, but he conquered death. And he was raised from the dead. I mean, Adam's sin, his guilt, the evil of the world could not keep Jesus down. He conquered it all. I mean, who else has the power over death like Jesus? No one does. Kardashians don't, right? Whatever you read on Twitter about who's powerful today, they're not as powerful as Jesus because he is the only one who has the power over Satan's sin and death. He reigns. He conquered it all. And so as we speak, as we're sitting here this morning, all throughout all of humanity, this is what Jesus is doing. He's pouring out his grace upon sons and daughters of Adam. And he's creating a new humanity. He's creating a new people for himself, a people in this life and to reign forever in his kingdom. That's what he's doing. And he's giving us a new identity. He's freeing us from the curse of Adam. He's giving us new identity as his sons and daughters, and actually now we are righteous in him. And he's giving us, he's writing us a new story of hope, which leads to eternal life. That is the news that you are hearing this morning in Romans 5, 12 through 21. There is a better Adam, and his name is Jesus. This is the gospel, guys. This is the message of Christianity. I don't know if you guys heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a famous British pastor, and he says this, he says, look at yourself in Adam, and though you had done nothing, you were actually declared a sinner. But you look at yourself in Christ and see that you have done nothing, you're actually declared righteous, and as a result, you are justified, and you have life, and you will reign with Christ forever, not based on what you have done, but based on the work of someone else. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of the gospel. And this, guys, is actually where we find true life. This is actually where we find the life that we were created for, not as individuals making much of ourselves, but instead making much of Jesus. That's what life is about now. It's not, it's not about you being the center of the garden. That's Adam. That's the world. Now Christ is the center of your life, and he brings us together as his people, and now our purpose in life is not to make much of ourselves and build our own kingdom, but by much of our, of our Savior and Redeemer. That's, what it, that's, that's it. So here's the question. Who are you in? Are you in Christ? Have you received Christ? Christ? 
Because listen, here's the reality. Every single person born in this world automatically is born into Adam. And you have all the consequences of being born into Adam. But it's not automatically that you're born into Christ. The way that you become in Christ is to receive him by faith. That's what verse 17 tells us. Look at it. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. To receive Christ means you simply come to him empty-handed. You don't come with your own works of righteousness and showing God all that you have tried to do for him in these robes of uh, really of, uh, of just junk. You come empty-handed, knowing and believing that Jesus is your only remedy, that there are no other saviors, that there is no one else who can represent you like Jesus can. And so you come and you confess your sin to him. You confess how you haven't measured up, and you receive Jesus as your representative, and you receive his righteousness, and you receive his death. You receive him, and then you receive all these benefits, which makes you right with God. So if you've never done that, if you find yourself in Adam this morning kind of trusting in another remedy, maybe maybe looking to your own uh, individualism to be your savior and to be your hope and to be your satisfaction, you know what? You've probably realized thus far that it's not pretty satisfying. Therefore, you continue to go to something else. The worldview of whatever makes you happy, I mean, how's that working out? It is only in Christ that we have the hope in this life and the life to come. And so listen, if you are in Christ, then Jesus wants you to have this rock-solid assurance of your salvation. Any of you ever kind of waver and kind of question the assurance of your salvation? I do. I've wrestled with it. I have doubts that I'm sure many of you do as well. But God wants us to see, he wants me to see through the truth that's laid out in his passage this morning that your salvation and my salvation isn't dependent upon my own work and your own work. It's dependent upon the work of Jesus. It's dependent about being represented by another person. It's either Adam or it's Christ. There are only two groups of people in the world today, guys. You're either Adam and you have all of this result that we just talked about, or you're in Christ. That is the hope. That is the foundation. That is the assurance of your salvation, is if by faith you've clinging to Jesus and have all his benefits now. My dear friend and sister who passed away this week, as she looked at over the course of her life, 83 years, Regrets didn't suffocate her. Like the guilt of her sin did not overwhelm her. She didn't look at over the 83 years and and wondered, have I really measured up to God's standard? You know what she did? She kept the faith. She persevered to the end. Her eyes were fixed on Jesus, the one who actually measured up for her. She kept her eyes on Jesus, the one who was actually condemned in her place, the one who actually represented her. And you know what the reality is? She went away peacefully knowing that her true and perfect righteousness was waiting for her and and his name is Jesus Christ. That was the hope that she found. 
That was the assurance that she found as death was knocking on her door, that her perfect righteousness was waiting for her, and it wasn't her own, it's Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is the only sure thing in this life and the life to come. He is the, he is the only remedy. And so listen, if you're in Christ, you can be sure of this, you're righteous, you are forgiven, you are a son and daughter of the, of the living God. You are justified. You are free from condemnation. And you will reign with Christ over Satan's sin and death forever in his kingdom. And that's wonderful news, amen? All because of how precious and all because how valuable Jesus is. Jesus is the better Adam. He is the perfect Adam. So this is what I want us to do. I don't want us to move too quickly from drinking deeply of Jesus this morning and keeping our eyes fixed on how he is the sufficient Savior for us. So we're going to move into a time of communion. If you're a guest with us this morning, we take communion every single Sunday. Every time we gather together, we, we celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But listen, we don't only just remember what Christ has done for us in the past. When we take communion, it's a reminder that he has conquered death and he is with us this morning. That through the Holy Spirit, he dwells within his people and he is present with us as we take the Lord's Supper. So this is what I want us to do. If you are in Christ this morning, if, if he is your only hope, if he is your remedy and you have put yourself in him by faith and he represents you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to spend a few moments and I just want you to celebrate Jesus. And I want you to, to thank him and I want you to praise him and I want you to worship him for him being the sufficient savior for you and the remedy, the one who came to represent you perfectly. And listen, if you're here this morning and, and you, you are not in Christ, you never put your faith and trust in him, as I mentioned earlier, this is a great opportunity for you to do so. To think about what you've heard this morning about Jesus that he is the perfect Adam, that he is the perfect representative. And you're either in Adam and you have all of the consequences of sin and condemnation of death, or you're in Christ and you have his obedience and his righteousness which leads to life. And it comes as a free gift. So I encourage you to come to him this morning and confess your need for him and to receive the work that he's accomplished on behalf of sinners. But if you are in Christ, when you're ready, I want you to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. This is for family. This is for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, and he is your only remedy. So when you're ready, come and celebrate the remedy, Jesus.